so tonight, I figure that a lot of you today maybe heard an Easter sermon about the resurrection of Jesus. And this is going to talk about that, this message tonight, but it's also going to take it a little bit further. So I'm going to read a little bit from the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's going to tell you why we're studying what we're studying tonight. This is what Paul said. It says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are, who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then last of all, He appeared to me as to one abnormally born. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his grace to me was notwithstanding effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. This is the word of the Lord. So what Paul says to us in that scripture was is that Jesus appeared to lots of different people when he was in his resurrected state. And then he says, at the end of all the different witnesses, he says, and Jesus also appeared to me at a slightly different time because I was untimely born. And I wasn't around at that first time when in those first moments when Jesus was appearing to everyone. He appeared to me a little bit later in a resurrected form. And you all know that this semester we've been studying the book of Acts. And we've been hearing about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. How from when Jesus died and then rose again and then lived and appeared in his resurrected form and then ascended, all the things that have happened and how the church was birthed by the Holy Spirit and has been spreading and it's been growing miraculously and this new community has been changing lives and people's lives have been changed. The apostles have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we're in a new day. We're in a time when things are changing a little bit and we start to meet a new person who's coming on the scene. So I want to read and turn to Acts chapter 9, which is going to be our focus for tonight. I'm just going to read and start with the first couple of verses. It says, Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, which was an early name for Christianity, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So I want to set the stage for you a little bit. We're going to stop right there. Who is this guy Saul? 
We learned about him a couple chapters ago when Stephen, who was boldly living out his faith in Christ and was empowered by the Spirit, was just talking and talking and giving praise to God and talking to the Jewish people surrounding him about how Jesus had fulfilled everything. And it enraged the leaders. And finally, they stoned Stephen. And it tells us that Saul was there and all the people who, who stoned Stephen laid their coats while they were stoning Stephen at Saul's feet. So Saul was sort of the leader guy. And while Stephen died as a martyr for the faith, Saul was there watching in approval. We also learn in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here's what I want to tell you about Saul. Saul is like a terrorist. He's on a rampage when we meet him at the beginning of Acts chapter 9. He wants to eliminate this Christian movement. He is adamantly opposed to anything to do with Jesus. He's a Christian killer. Some other things you need to know about him was he was very religious, a very religious Jew. He was a Pharisee. He'd been trained by some of the best Old Testament teachers. He knew his Bible his Old Testament. It wasn't a minor thing for him at all. It was central to Paul's life. It went right to the core of who he was, the way he looked at the world. He was intelligent. He would be the brilliant guy in your class. He was extremely smart, articulate, intellectual. You might say brilliant. He was well-connected. He grew up in a Jewish home. He had connections within the Jewish uh, systems and circles. He had contacts. And somebody on a mission who has contacts is powerful. And when we meet Saul, we see him in this relentless kind of state. He's on a mission to kill Christians with authority. He even goes to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and gets permission from them to hunt down Christians because they've scattered. Now that things are happening in Jerusalem, they're scattered all over the area. And he gets permission to go all the way to Damascus to hunt down. Can I hunt anybody down? And they gave him approval. He's almost like a bounty hunter. He's like, I'm going to go find those Christians and I'm going to shackle them up and I'm going to bring them back so we can throw them in jail, whether it's men or women or children, whoever. If they claim the name of Jesus, I'm going to lock them up. He wanted to stomp out Christianity. If you want to know about why he was going to Damascus, I'll show you this map. There's a brief picture of part of the road to Damascus. And if you go... It's about 140 to 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. And the Christians had scattered all over this area. And some had gone to Damascus because there was a religious center there. And they went to get away from what was going on in Jerusalem. But Paul wanted to go there because Damascus was on the trade routes. 
And if Christianity took hold here, it would spread all over the area. And he didn't want it to go any further. He wanted it gone. So he got permission to go and walk three or four or five days journey to go to Damascus to hunt down any Christians who are there. Now, I don't know how devoted you are to a cause, but if you're willing to walk 150 miles to chase down somebody, you're pretty intense. And that's what Paul was, Saul was like. So let me keep going with the story right now. Pick it up at verse 3. This is now God enters the scene. It says, As Saul neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he said. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, And they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So we have this Saul who's going on a rampage to stomp out Christianity, and then all of a sudden, in this unexpected way, God shows up. And Saul encounters the risen Jesus. Christianity was in a vulnerable place. And what's really cool is while Saul is attacking and ravaging the church, God shows up to intervene. Saul's in shock. It's a terrifying encounter. He's blinded by the light and driven to his knees or to his face. If you see the picture, I think that's a fairly good, as best as we can, approximation. I can relate to that feeling because when we used to have services here in the morning on campus ministry on certain days of the year, that window would let the sun right in and you'd just be sitting there and you're like, Take me now, Lord. Like, um, you're coming. Like, I'm preaching. And he'd be like, shh. And he couldn't see anything except the sun coming through that light. So I can relate a little bit. So Paul is in shock. He can't see. He's humbled. This guy who determined everything that he did was self-driven. Now he can't see, and he's been humbled. And for three days, he doesn't eat or drink and is just sort of trying to figure out what the Lord is trying to tell him. You see, Saul thought he saw everything correctly, but God has left him blind. And God is giving Saul a powerful sign of the actual spiritual darkness that was going on in him. And God does that for you and me too, doesn't he sometimes? You've heard it, like it's a wake-up call. Have you ever had a wake-up call? A close call where you should have had something bad happen, but it didn't, and you're like, whoa, 
man, God, really help me out there. I need, I need to change. Or you get an unexpected word for some, from somebody. Or you're reading the scriptures or you're worshiping and something happens to you. You get that kind of wake-up call. Something stops you in your tracks. If that's happened to you or if you can relate to that, that's what's going on with Saul. And there's four things that I want you to know, three or four things I want you to know about this encounter with Saul, what's going on. First is, this is really cool, is that Jesus considers an attack on the church, his bride, an attack on him, right? Saul is persecuting the church, but when Jesus shows up and reveals himself in this way to Saul on the road, he says, why are you persecuting me? Did you see this week? Uh, Hopefully not, but Trump and uh, Cruz on TV, and it sort of degraded into them attacking each other's wives. Did you see that this week? Right? Cruz says, how can Melania be the first lady? And then Cruz says, well, I'm going to tell a whole bunch of junk about your wife, Ted. And Ted's like, don't mess with my wife. You know, like... uh, I'm just telling you, it's true. That's in a similar way. When you're married, when someone messes with Rita, who's here in the back, if someone messes with Rita... I'm going to come to her defense. And in the same way, Jesus comes to the defense of his bride, the church, in this moment and considers the attacks from Saul and the other opponents of the way as attacks on him. Second thing is this, is that Here's the really cool thing, which is a deep spiritual truth, is that God pursues us long before we ever pursue him. God initiates. God took the first step in setting up a covenant and revealing himself to the people. But in the form of Jesus, God took the first step in coming to this earth and becoming in human form so that we might know about him. God took the first step in revealing his word so that we might have that special revelation about who God is. Sometimes we get confused and think, well, if we passionately pursue God, we're going to find him and we found God. That's not, I think, how, how it works. God always pursues us first. And we see that here. Saul has done nothing to show that he has changed. Maybe he saw Stephen die, and that was starting to get him a little bit because Stephen wouldn't stop speaking about Jesus even while he was getting stoned. Maybe he had some different things going on, but Paul is adamantly trying to stomp out Christianity. And this revelation that God does changes Paul. Now, this conversion of Saul to Paul 
is quite unique. I've never seen a flash of light, except here, you know, but not in the same way. God didn't speak to me and say, Chris, why are you persecuting me? God has never revealed himself with an audible voice in my life. God's never blinded me for three days, or you probably. But how has God revealed himself to you in your life? How did God show up in your life? Who is that person who revealed God to you? Where did you feel that nudge from God? Hey, I love you. I want to be in your life. I want to have a relationship with you. How have you felt that nudge? John Wesley, hundreds of years ago, founder of the Wesleyan movement, Methodist movement, is famous for talking about when he was, at a, when he was hearing a sermon at Aldersgate, he talked about how his heart was strangely warmed. He felt this inner thing going on in him. How does God get your attention? Now, I have a buddy in Denver, because I've gone on the Denver mission trip like 15 years in a row, and um, I've gotten to know this guy named John Swanger. He looks a little bit like Santa Claus now, but back in his early days, he was a pretty rough guy. He grew up in a terrible home, and he had just a mom around and multiple people coming through the house, and he ended up getting into robbing banks and dealing drugs and doing all these things. And after he was caught in that, he ended up in prison and just had this terrible life, which is written about in this book called Shackled. But here's the cool thing. After he got out of prison, he was working as a bouncer, because that's the kind of job you get when you get out of prison after doing all the things that he did. And he told me his story. He's got one of those testimonies. You're sort of like, your jaw hits the floor, and you're like, whoa. Um, uh, he tells me the story of how he kept going after work at like 3 in the morning to the 7-Eleven. And there was a 7-Eleven attendant who kept saying to him encouraging things and saying, God's got something for you, John. And God planted a seed from this guy who was a 7-Eleven attendant who was working his way through seminary by working the night shift at 7-Eleven. And God eventually called John back to a relationship with him and set him free from all those shackles and all those things because of a nudge from a 7-Eleven attendant at night. Isn't that cool? So I'm wondering, who, who nudged you? How did God get your attention. Last thing I want you to know is in this encounter with this resurrection appearance, which would have been shocking and amazing, is that Jesus saves by grace alone. Paul says that he, later on, that he was the chief of sinners. And that only by God's grace could he be called. It was nothing to do with how religious he was, Nothing to do with anything, but it was all about how God had met him. And God had revealed himself to him. So, 
Saul's encounter with God was a work of divine, sovereign grace. God moved in on Paul's life, on Saul's life. And God surprised him with joy and with a call to something new. Now let me keep reading a minute so you hear the story. Picking up at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and to their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Isn't that cool? Paul is being radically changed. And God calls Ananias to be part of it. Can you imagine that call? It's like this. Hey, Chris, would you go minister to Saddam Hussein? He's waiting for you to come and tell you about Jesus. What? That's the kind of like radical thing that Paul's asking, that God's asking Ananias to do and Ananias does it there's a whole sermon in there that I'm not going to pursue tonight but I want you to know that we need more people like Ananias and later on like Barabbas who are willing to come alongside people from all kinds of backgrounds and help them understand about Jesus God's prompting them God's making them do stuff God's prompting them and God calls the community to welcome these kind of people into our arms. So here's what I want to say. God, through the prayers of Ananias, takes away the scales that had been on Saul since the day that he encountered God on the road. Paul, Saul, is now a new man. He's got a new mission, a new passion, and eventually he gets a new name, Paul. So Saul becomes Paul. Paul, over the next couple of years, gets trained, and God starts to redeem all those things from his past to use them for his purposes. And what I want you to see is is that God wants to do the same thing with you. You see, God uses Saul's religious background 
now that Paul is a follower of Jesus and is now Jesus is his Lord, God's using those incredible connections, all that brilliance that he had, all that understanding of the Old Testament to make incredible connections between Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills it and completes it. Paul's an incredible theologian. God uses Saul's intelligence now that he's Paul to... Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Saul had been relentless in persecuting Christians. Now Paul is relentless in spreading the news about Jesus and going everywhere and starting churches and fighting for anybody, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles to become followers of Jesus. He was willing to endure all that relentless spirit. He was willing to endure great opposition and suffering. So that's what God did with Saul. And he redeems all that stuff from his past and now uses it and starts to use it for his glory in ways that are amazing. This is one of the most significant conversions in all of history. So here's my question for you tonight. What does God want to redeem in your life? Including your past experiences, some of your painful experiences. Because God wants to use who you are and meet you where you are to start to call you and use you and redeem you for his glory. From Saul's story, from Paul's story about his background, we learn some things. That God can change anyone, God can save anyone, and God can use anyone. So here, I just want to share with you briefly a few things. I want you to see this real quickly. So as Saul changes to Paul, here's some things that changed about him because this can also be true of us in different ways. Paul had a change of heart. He once was consumed with rage for enemies of Judaism, but now he's passionate for others to know Jesus. Let's go to the next one. Paul had a change of spirit. He was a self-driven, powerful, fearful man, driven man, but now he's been filled and empowered by the Spirit. Next one. He had a change of mission. He saw himself as the protector and the purifier of the faith. But now God's using him not only to reach other Jewish people, but now he's, God's raised him up and says in the scripture that he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And probably you and I are sitting here today as followers of Jesus because of this man, Paul. Go to the next one. He had a change of master. He was completely focused on his own religious achievement. And now God changed him to be a follower of Jesus. Excuse me. Hear these words from Philippians 3. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Paul's been changed from being focused on works to being changed by the grace of God and a relationship with Jesus. Last one. And Paul's experience of change in eternity. He once was lost like the rest of us, all of us. But now he'd been claimed and offered eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now tonight I wanted to share with you all some examples of how this change in this conversion of turning around and coming back to God looks like in your peers. So I have two students who are going to come up and going to share with you all a little bit about their story. So they're going to share it one at a time, but I'd like to invite up Riley Leet and Anna Kosmengi, and they're going to share. Hi, I'm Riley. I'm a junior here, and I'm an education major. Um, now, a lot like Paul, I wasn't always an active follower of the Lord, and I didn't always live my life the best that I could. Um, in high school, the master of my life was definitely not the Lord. It was partying, and here in college, we see that all the time, so some of you can probably relate to seeing that. Um, I would go out pretty much every weekend and just kind of do my own thing and whatnot, and you know, I wasn't really focused on anything in particular except for seeking acceptance from people and um, just trying to like find love and something to fill me up. And over and over again, you know, it would last maybe a night of like, oh, wow, that was so fun. And then the next day you're empty again. And that was on repeat for me for four years. Um, when I went away to college, I decided like, okay, obviously this isn't working. I need to try something else. So I joined a sorority, which most of you probably think is funny because Greek life is typically associated with partying. So I joined a sorority and I um, did the same thing that I always did. And one night I went out and I just hit rock bottom. Um, I was completely empty at this point. There wasn't even a little bit of fullness after this night. Um, I remember just feeling like absolute crap. I was so broken. I had really bad anxiety. I was depressed. I was super alone. And I just wanted to go home. And I was at South Carolina. So that was 14 hours away. So I couldn't just run home to mom like I did in high school. So I sought out what I thought would help, which was my sisters and my sorority. And one of them named Winter um, brought me to this thing called Fam Time. And I didn't really know what it was when I got there, um, but I went anyways. And 
I walk in, and they started pulling out Bibles, and I'm sitting there like, what the heck is this? Okay, so I guess I'll stay. I don't have a card. Okay. And so they start talking about God's love for all of us and about how we're all treasures and about how um, he looks at us as flawless and um, in him, we are new creations and all this, um, just amazing things. All the things I was looking for right there felt real. I felt loved. I felt accepted. And in the moment, I did not understand why. Um, but looking back now, I can see um, the Lord was just showing me, hey, I'm here. That hole in your heart that you're trying to fill with all these earthly, worldly things. Yeah, the reason it's not being full is because I'm the only thing that can fill it. Stop looking and turn to me. <laughs> so today, after that moment, obviously, um, things changed for me. I started going to church regularly. Um, I transferred here, um, and my roommate took me to a life group um, when um, Stacy talks at the beginning of the year about how like life changing a life group can be. That is what it was for me. Um, I started going and I was in Chelsea Vanderswag's um, group and um, she taught me so much so quickly. And from there, I just continued to pursue the Lord and I ended up working at Spring Hill Camps and then <laughs> and then I was baptized um, at a retreat this summer and the Lord is just flip my life 180. Um, this year, I lead a Bible study um, through life groups, and I've just seen so much awesome stuff through that opportunity. Um, yeah, God's just changed my heart, and no longer do I feel lonely. No longer do I feel shame. No longer do I feel guilt. I don't struggle with depression anymore. I do get anxious sometimes, but we're in college, so that's typical. Um <laughs> But God just changed everything for me, and he is the master of my life, and I just, I've turned everything over to him, and just like Saul, I've seen nothing but good things. <laughs> Hi, my name is Annika. Um, I'm a sophomore here. Hey, what's up? Um, so, like Saul, when I encountered Jesus, my plans completely changed, and my mission completely changed. My freshman year, through multiple different encounters with Christ, um, I realized that my mission that I had for my life was nowhere near as perfect as God's mission for my life and his plan for my life. Um, through different encounters, I ended up getting led to a spring break trip through campus ministry. Um, I went to East Palo Alto last year around this time. It was fantastic. And it definitely um, changed who I was, and it changed my mission for my life. Um, through that, I changed my major, I found a new summer job, I became great friends with these awesome girls who have changed my life completely, and um, I also decided to do another spring break trip this year, and I went to Portland, Oregon, which was great as well, um, and through that trip, um, some big things happened, and I left that trip with the call to do mission work, um, and that was quite a new thing for me because I started college with um, this plan to go into the medical field. Um, so the plan to do mission work is quite different than doing working in the medical field. Um, so through that experience, my um, 
mission changed and my plans have changed completely. Um, and I don't think I would be the person I am today and I wouldn't have the heart I had today without God and without encountering him. And I'm completely grateful and so honored to um, live the life I live because of him. And um, I'm so glad the grave is empty. It takes a lot of courage to stand up in front of your peers and admit who you've been and where you're going. So I thank God for what he's doing in each of your lives. And my prayer tonight is, is that no matter who you are in this room, that you know that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is here, is active, is nudging you, is nudging me, and saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I came to this earth to live, to die, to rise again, to restore a relationship with my people. And so I hope that by my words, by what you're hearing from the scriptures, that you know that God loves you. That apart from Jesus, there is no other way back to the Father. That Jesus uniquely reveals God as one who initiates with us. All other religions are about our efforts trying to get back in relationship with God. Christianity isn't so much a religion as it's about a relationship with the risen Savior. Or in a different way, surrendering to a presence Surrendering to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and allowing Him to restore and save you, and allowing um, Him to lead your life. So my prayer tonight is that you would know this powerful grace that we see in the life of Jesus and talked about by Paul who experienced it in his own life. And if I'm honest, there's a deep part of every one of us that goes, yeah, Chris, that's really, really cool. But if you knew me, if you knew my heart, if you knew my thoughts, if you knew my actions, I'm not sure if God could really love me. It's easy to offer it to others. Yeah, I believe God can forgive you, but I'm not so sure about me. What I want you to know is God put this story in the Bible about Saul so that you could know that anybody can be transformed by the grace of God. Paul was, as self-described, the chief of sinners. And so I hope tonight that you hear this from 1 Timothy. Paul says this, I am the foremost of sinners. I am the, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If God can call and restore Saul, how much more can God claim you? Paul, sorry, Saul is the kind of person no one expected to be converted. His opposition was too articulate and too deep. But what God wants us to know is that God's mercy and God's power are not limited to people who've been set up for Christianity by a good family or by church association or a clean moral track record. The chief of sinners was converted. And that means hope for us individually. And it means hope for those people you know who are tempted to say they're too far gone. And that's hard for me to say because I have struggles with my own family. Who do you know that you've tempted to think, nope, they're too far What I want you to hear tonight is you're not too far and no one else you know is too far from the grace of God. The song I chose to respond to this message was written by a guy named John Newton. He was into human trafficking. They used to call it slavery. He was the captain of a slave ship And one time when that slave ship got into an immense, terrible storm, he cried out to God for mercy. And they were saved. And his life changed around. And he became a preacher, and he started to write hymns. And he wrote a hymn called Amazing Grace. And it speaks about how God changed someone who was a slave trader or he described a wretch and made them new by his mercy. So as we pray tonight and as we stand to sing, I want you to really believe God can claim back a Christian killer, a slave trader, a murderer, a bank robber, the porn addicted, someone wounded by divorce, someone scarred from bad relationships. Whatever your story, God can claim you back. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, tonight we celebrate your resurrection. And I can only tell these stories about people changing from their past to the present because you've risen from the dead. And so I pray tonight as we sing about your grace that we would know it's available, it's here. And I pray that whoever I may be speaking to tonight, you might know who you are. 
I pray that no one would leave here bound tonight. They can be free, set free by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. May that be true of all of us. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing.